Hi there, I'm your host Spencer Walsh, and today on the show we have Jared Yeas, the CFO of Shutterstock. Shutterstock is one of the leading digital content marketplaces, and in this conversation, we discuss the history and growth prospects of their core marketplace, how generative AI is impacting the business, and the rationale behind the company's recent acquisition of Giphy. I hope you enjoy. This interview is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The host, Spencer Walsh, also serves as the managing member of Kinesic Capital LLC, an investment advisor based in San Francisco, California. All opinions expressed by Spencer Walsh and the guests in this interview are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Kinesic Capital LLC or the companies at which guests are employed or affiliated. This interview may also contain statements that are considered forward-looking under various securities laws. These forward-looking statements are based upon current market conditions and assumptions and involve risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially. Kinesic Capital LLC and its clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this interview, and nothing herein should be construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. This interview does not intend to be complete or entirely accurate on any topic addressed, and the information discussed in this interview is provided as of the date of its publication and will not be updated. Jared, it's great to see you again. Thanks for making the time to do this interview. Thanks for having me, Spencer. I look forward to it. So I want to break this conversation up into three sections. First, I want to discuss Shutterstock's core digital content marketplace. Second, I want to discuss how generative AI is impacting the business. And third, I want to discuss Shutterstock's recent acquisition of Giphy. So let's start with the core digital content marketplace, which obviously um, represents the vast majority of revenue today. So, and for the purposes of this, let's try and completely set aside AI to the extent that's possible. I know AI kind of dominates conversations regarding Shutterstock and it is impactful to the business, but let's set that aside for now. So. First question, in a little context, it seems like content marketplaces, particularly di digital content marketplaces, historically have been quite attractive businesses. And John Oranger founded Shutterstock, built it into an 800 million plus revenue business while retaining 30% ownership personally. And you know the Getty family's done something similar with Getty Images. Adobe's done something similar with Adobe Stock. So historically speaking, why were digital content marketplaces such attractive businesses? You know, what problems were they solving and why were they able to generate such attractive economics? Well, Spencer, I think you know, when you look back over time, uh, there's been meaningful growth in stock content uh, over the course of the past 20 years. Um, what has happened is um, the types of content that, be, that are needed for uh, enterprise marketing uh, have changed and evolved. There's been a growth in the content types from uh, stock imagery and stills that were sort of the original use case to the use of video, music, special effects, and 3D models. So I think one of the things you've seen is uh, content types diversify and expand. We've also seen what I would call the velocity of digital marketing uh, continue to grow. And so there is an expression which is that a successful Facebook ad uh, lasts about six hours. So you can imagine how long an unsuccessful Facebook ad, ad lasts. That kind of velocity, um, and when you think about all the different channels that are that are used for digital marketing, whether it's the programmatic ecosystem, whether it is the walled garden ecosystem, um, social media, um, creates a very significant demand for little creative. And that creative is typically customized by channel and by geography. Uh, according to a marketer's needs and by really customer segment. And so the growth of digital marketing and the velocity of digital marketing, I think is something that clearly has been uh, powering our industry uh, for a number of years. Uh, and the last piece that I would mention is the democratization of creativity brought about by the simplicity of design tools. Uh, you no longer need a PhD to be able to manipulate images to create videos. Design tools have become uh, easier to understand over time. They've become more templatized. Uh, we're 80 to 90% of the work is done for you upfront. And more recently, uh, generative has had an impact on the simplicity and ability to manipulate content. And so it's become easier for everyone, uh, those in the marketing department and with a graphic design background and those not in the marketing department and without that type of background uh, to be able to participate in creativity and the production of, of digital marketing. And so when you think about content types evolving, when you think about the velocity of digital marketing, and when you think about the simplicity of today's design tools, I think those are three 
trends that have really uh, powered this industry forward over the course of the past decade and moved this really uh, into a quite an attractive uh, business and uh, an end market. How analogous is Shutterstock's business model to other uh, online con or online marketplaces? You know, there's a lot of just highly profitable, highly successful online marketplaces in a whole bunch of different categories. You know, where is this? How's this analogous in terms of you've got all this digital content out there? You know, you need platforms that can aggregate supply. You need platforms that buyers can go to where they know they can access content. Like, how is this analogous to other online marketplaces out there? Well, I think there are a lot of similarities. Uh, you know, the most successful, largest business models in this industry are two-sided marketplaces that have thriving customer communities as well as thriving contributor communities. And uh, if you take a step back and look at uh, both sides of Shutterstock's business model, we have a large thriving contributor community. Uh, last quarter, we disclosed about was 2.7 million active contributors. We've seen the growth of that contributor community over time. And we've also seen that contributor community contribute more content uh, uh, year after year, really driving a very significant increase in the supply of content in our marketplace, such that we're touching three quarters of a billion uh, overall assets. That kind of uh, diversity of content and the availability of the content and the ability to index and search that content really makes uh, a compelling supply for our customers to find exactly the perfect piece of content that they're looking for. And the flip side, or go ahead. Uh, the flip side of that, Spencer, is um, you know the customers come to where they find the perfect piece of content, and so we like. And most truly in customers that are buying, about 50,000 enterprise customers and a long tail of small and medium-sized business customers uh, that are out there uh, downloading and consuming videos and images and 3D models and music. And when you put these two together, you see that flywheel start to spin and you see both the supply and the demand start to uh, expand and the leaders in the space tend to get larger because we're the places where the greatest economics are available if you're a contributor. And the customers come because they recognize that having a thriving contributor community really provides them the type of content that they're that they're looking for. So I think there are a lot of similarities between the stock content two-sided marketplaces uh, that have been successful and other two-sided marketplace concepts and that network effects uh, truly apply. Okay. All right. That's helpful. So Based on um, based on Shutterstock's guidance for 2023, based on my math, shares traded roughly six and a half times adjusted EBITDA, roughly ten times free cash flow. So, you know, those are very very low multiples relative to other you know call it online marketplace businesses, which leads me to believe investors are questioning the health of this business. So, in your view, is Shutterstock's? We we know this was a good business historically. I think investors are questioning whether it's a good business going forward. Uh, and once again, trying to set aside AI from this. Is, is Shutterstock's digital content marketplace an organically growing or declining business and, and why? Sure. And and Spencer, first, I, I, I think I'd correct you. I think you might be turned too high in terms of the EBITDA multiple that we're, we're, we're trading at today uh, based, on our, based on our guidance. But that aside, you know, our business does have uh, organic growth uh, in it today, and we expect it to have organic growth in it on a go-forward basis. The industry, we believe, is growing 5 to 7%. We believe this is a $6 billion TAM. And there's no reason to believe that long-term, Shutterstock shouldn't grow at or above the rate of that industry growth, uh, as we have been doing uh, over the over the course of the, the company's history. Uh, we've historically been a share taker. Uh, the industry has stabilized and matured over time. But there's no reason to believe that this shouldn't be organically uh, a growth business uh, this year and for years to come. The sources of that growth are changing and evolving. And so there are faster growth content types. Uh, we're excited about some of the opportunities that present themselves, for example, in 3D. Uh, we just announced some partnerships in the area, which is really the conversion of video content to fully scalable 3D models. Uh, and we believe that that could do a really exciting content type uh, in the future, powering e-commerce applications, gaming applications, metaverse applications, 
And we're really pleased to be at the forefront of both 3D uh, and uh, bringing Nerf technologies and Nerf content types to market. We're seeing a lot of growth and demand for both music and video, particularly among enterprise customers. Um, as advertising and digital marketing becomes more video-centric, and video is obviously a higher CPM ad format than static display advertising, um, we're seeing a strong demand for stock video content as well as music content that pairs perfectly uh, with those videos for applications such as uh, uh, YouTube and connected television advertising. Uh, those elements would be powering more of the growth. Remember, traditional stomach imagery uh, would be slower growth at this point in time, uh, and we'd see uh, a, a gradual um, uh, commoditization uh, of that part of the business over time, um, which is uh, countered by some of the exciting growth that we're seeing in, in other uh, newer format uh, content types. I think most investors understand and probably believe in this dynamic of there's more digital content created every single day. Uh, there's more digital ads created every single day. Their need for digital content grows. So I, I think people believe in the tailwinds behind the growth of digital content. I think where maybe they lose a little faith is how the growth in digital content translate to growth in Shutterstock, you know, revenue and free cash flow. And so how does that, how does that translate? You know, obviously we need more digital content every year, but like from a business model standpoint, does this translate to, you believe Shutterstock will have more customers going forward, you'll have more spend per customer. And I know you've got paid downloads and subscriptions, but how does this translate to kind of the KPIs in your business and how do you view those uh, evolving over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think Spencer, it's a it's a fair concern because if you look at the, the, the growth in digital uh, marketing over the course of the past 20 years, and you think about this as a $300 billion TAM and end market, most of that growth uh, and that TAM has accrued to the very large technology platforms such as uh, Google and Meta. Yeah, so and and they're the proprietary distribution channels that command the lion's share of the CPM associated with digital advertising. The creative element of the digital advertising is probably less than ten percent of the ad spend. And then the content used in the creative is probably less than 10% of that. And so there's a portion of a portion of the overall digital marketing economics that trickle down to uh, content providers uh, such as Shutterstock. That said, we do believe that there are significant opportunities for us. So number one, we believe that there's a tremendous opportunity for upsell, cross-sell across content types. Um, you know, today uh, we are seeing more demand for different types of content from our customers that have never used, for example, video or music or special effects or 3D models in the past. You know, a car configurator five, 10 years ago was a truly novel creation that would cost millions of dollars on the back of a new product introduction. So really the idea that a new product skew should be in 3D, should be able to be turned uh, opened up, reviewed and looked inside to have a much more experiential uh, content touch point is almost becoming expected. Uh, and the cost of that have come down very, very significantly. And so we think of this idea that our customers are going to want more and different types of content from Shutterstock uh, is really a trend that's going to be powering our business. Uh, we do think there's also a fairly sizable uh, service and uh, and improving trend that can power our business. So for example, on the uh, SMB side of the market, there's a demand for self-serve creative tools uh, that has been growing exponentially. On the one hand, these are template-driven design tools, uh, examples being uh, Adobe Creative Cloud Express or, or Canva Pro. Uh, but very quickly, these tools are evolving into that use generative AI, things like the magical laser, things like how to automatically remove a background, things like how to generatively expand um, uh, from a small purview. And I think Shutterstock has been really at the beginning stages of beginning to combine uh, these tools with our content. Uh, first, with our acquisition of TechMonkey in 2021, 
Uh, but we will soon have uh, expanded that PicMonkey capability into uh, generative editing. And so we're really excited about the ability to bring news and content together for our customers uh, to grow those relationships. On the high end of the market, customers are looking for services. And so our studios business has really benefited from customers coming to us saying, we do virtual 3D production for us in a way that's flexible, in a way that leverages your contributor community, and in a way that leverages the existing stock content that you have in our marketplace. And so we are seeing that tools and that services opportunity paired with the content of the varying content types as a really strong growth opportunity for us. All of this is ultimately going to drive up uh, the annual revenue per customer and our ability to grow with our existing customer base. Okay, that was really thorough. So it, if an investor was just going to look at your financial statements, though, so, I mean, you just outlined a pretty exciting kind of growth opportunity for the business. But, you know, an investor just looking at your financials might play devil advocate and say, hey, if I exclude some of these AI data deals, which we're going to touch on here. So, you know, I certainly see uh, the opportunities there. If we excluded those revenues, I think declined maybe 6% year over year in Q2. Um, so how do I reconcile kind of exciting growth prospects with, you know, kind of weakness on the revenue side, you know, particularly in the e-commerce segment. Yeah, you know, I know enterprise segments doing much better than e-commerce currently, but how do you reconcile the two? How does that resolve itself? Sure. So I think, you know, a couple of things, Spencer. I think number one, you know, our guidance calls for 5% revenue growth at the top end of our guidance this year. Um, and so single digit growth, I think um, we'd like our growth to be faster. And there's a number of things we're doing in our business, but we are growing this year. Uh, we grew last year. We've consistently been a growth business over the 11 years that the company has been public, and I don't expect that to change. Secondly, when you think about our mandate and how we're getting value for shareholders, we're also very focused on driving free cash flow and EBITDA growth. 2019, this was a business that did $96 million of EBITDA. Look at our guidance this year almost $250 million of EBITDA. How many businesses out there have grown their EBITDA at 250% over the course of the past 36 months and trade for five and a half times EBITDA? Um, you know, uh, there, are, there are very few. Um, and so we are very focused on growing our revenues. We're very focused on expanding our profitability and ultimately uh, driving free cash flow production for our shareholders. I think we've been we've been very successful in that endeavor. The sources of our growth have been uneven. And on the one hand this year, we've seen uh, uh, businesses that are looking for Shutterstock's metadata to train their generative AI models. We've seen that absolutely take off. We've seen that business grow from 5 million of revenues in 2021 20 million of revenues in 2022. And this year we discussed that being a $70 million plus business. Uh, so that business is effectively uh, more than tripling uh, over the course of a year. We're very excited about that. There's a number of investments we're making in order to capitalize on what we think will be a big trend around data, clean and ethical data for generative AI model training. Flip side of that is we have seen weakness uh, in our e-commerce business, which is our business that caters to small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, that business started out in Europe uh, with the advent of the war in Ukraine. Uh, we saw our, our European resident region over the course of 2022 that's continued on into 2023, and some of that was compounded by uh, currency issues. And we've seen the U.S. more recently uh, become weaker. We've attributed that to uh, some reductions in marketing spend uh, in the back half of last year. We're fairly uh, significant spenders in terms of performance marketing uh, to drive traffic to our site and garner conversions. I think we probably let our foot off the gas a little bit too much in the latter part of last year. And so included in our guidance this year is a significant step up in marketing uh, to get that business back to stability and ultimately get it back to growth. Um, and so... You know, we have no reason to believe that our e-commerce business is not a growth business. Uh, we expect that business to uh, get back to the historical growth trends that it's been on. And um, you know, we think there are some things we could have done better from an execution and conversion perspective that we're going to endeavor to fix uh, in the coming quarters. Okay. 
So I, I guess to sum that up, you'd probably attribute the recent weakness on the revenue side, you know, XAI deals to macro and some execution issues that you would expect to revert at some point uh, back to, you know, a longer term trend line. Is that a fair summarization? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And we've been, we've been reluctant to put uh, a definitive date on when we see that turn. And uh, we'd prefer to wait and see, you know, several, several months of improved trends. And then we'll be talking to folks about, you know, exactly when we get back to growth. Um, but I don't think there's any reason to believe that that growth uh, will ultimately return to the business. Okay. So before we get to AI, um, I do want to touch on competition here within the digital content marketplace ecosystem. So uh, there's a lot of competitors out there, um, you know, fewer competitors of scale. Um, there's kind of, uh, you know, three main players, I guess I'd say. So you know, previously mentioned the two other large ones, which is Getty and Adobe stock. Um, in your view, how do you differentiate versus them? And what would you say is Shutterstock's competitive advantage relative to your competition? Sure. So I think, um, you know, uh, when we think about why customers go to each of the major competitors that are out there, I think we all have our own particular strengths. And, uh, Adobe is well known for their uh, tools, and uh, they built the, the the business on the back of creative design tools uh, for professionals. Uh, Getting Images is known for um, its editorial content, uh, which is particularly valuable to the publishing community. And Shutterstock was really the port of call for digital marketers and people who are looking for creative content. Uh, for digital marketing and digital advertising in the programmatic ecosystem and social media, as well as in other broad-based uh, digital marketing, such as websites. Um, you know, I don't think that has changed. I think we really do have a, a, a strength in terms of the size and scale of our content that's available for digital marketing. Um, the size of our library is unparalleled amongst our peers. Um, the, the disparity between us and our peers becomes even more apparent as you start to look into different content types, which is video, music, and 3D. Uh, our offerings are scaled in a way that our competitors uh, are not. And, and we also believe that we're bringing to bear a great combination of content with some of the features and functionalities that creatives are looking for, i.e. they're looking for a lightweight dam. Uh, to catalog and store their content. They're looking for easy to use design tools so that they can manipulate photos um, uh, without having to leave the platform. Uh, they're looking for a search capability that is intuitive and really built for digital marketing and advertising. Um, and we've been working on that and honing that and really leveraging our metadata uh, to make sure that we index and serve up our content in a way that is effective for digital marketers to find exactly what they're looking for as quickly as possible. When we survey our customers, it means the ability to find the perfect piece of content very quickly and efficiently that rises to the fore in terms of their priorities when they come to Shutterstock. And so, you know, that's where we've been focused and that's where we believe that we, uh, we, 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 we provide uh, an enhanced value proposition as compared to the competition. Okay. That was, um, I like the way you laid that out. I guess honing in on Adobe in particular, yeah, I'd certainly put Adobe on the list of companies I would like to not be competing against in general. Um, and, you know, they've obviously, you outlined, you know, their kind of core competencies on the, the software and tool side. Um, but their Adobe stock business, which they've used their kind of creative uh, suite to cross-sell in short, uh, has grown very quickly. I mean, they disclosed... I think 200 million in revenue and camera the year May 2018 up to 500 million in revenue um, last year in 2022. So still, you know, a ways to go to Shutterstock and Getty, but certainly growing the fastest. Um, so kind of two questions just as it relates to Adobe, which is how large of a competitive threat is Adobe? Um, and secondly, with some of the investments you guys have made on the tool side, particularly to SMBs with Creative Flow, and it sounds like more recently some Gen AI tools in partnership with OpenAI, is there any shot that you feel like you're leveling the playing field with them a little bit, or is that, you know, wishful thinking on the really low end of the market? Sure. So I think you know the way uh, that Adobe has historically thought about their stock offering uh, since their acquisition of Fatolia 
2015 is effectively uh, an upsell crosssell. So if the design tools are the hamburger, uh, the stock contents effectively the French fries. Would you write Would you write fries with that? So it's an add-on, bolt-on offering. Um, we all price uh, fairly comparably, and so we're really trying to differentiate on value uh, and not necessarily uh, on price. I think they have done a very good job in really continuing to drive innovation around their tools offering. What they have not done as good of a job in is innovating in the stock content area. Um, so they're weaker uh, with respect to various content types. The size of their image library is smaller than the competition. Their video library is significantly smaller than the competition. And they don't really have a presence uh, in other areas such as 3D models, special effects, and, and, and other areas uh, like the competition does. It's symptomatic of what happens when a company gets acquired by a much larger company where software is the core and the content effectively becomes a little bit uh, of, of the laggard from an innovation perspective. And so it's, it's not surprising to see that happen. Uh, that being said, they are still in competition. Uh, they're strong in the design terms area. Um, you know, what they've done uh, with bringing up Flannel and introducing generative editing is truly exciting. I think you're going to see us uh, follow on with some very exciting uh, generative editing tools that we talked about uh, during our second quarter call. Um, we already have some of that in uh, beta testing with our clients, and uh, it's very, very exciting to be able to bring features and functionalities to our customers um, that are uh, very competitive with what a much larger company has in such a short period of time. Um, so we're, we're thrilled to be able to effectively replicate uh, what they've done um, and even add some uh, new and differentiated features for ourselves uh, on top of that. Um, you know, their business is, uh, is growing fairly quickly. But that being said, when we were at that size and scale, uh, we were going, uh, you know, faster as well. I think there is a little bit of, uh, you know, lot of large numbers that starts to kick in as you approach $900 million of revenue as compared to say, you know, three to, three to $500 million of revenue. So there's a bit of that as well. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So, um, moving on to, you know, the topic du jour, which is generative AI, uh, and, and not to downplay the impact there. I know it's impactful. Your business is impactful for a lot of businesses. So, but maybe before we try to predict the future here, maybe we start with, uh, you know, what we know, which is in short, how has AI impacted your business to date? And let's start on the positive side. You know, so, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned a little bit of it earlier. You guys have talked about it quite a bit in the last couple earnings calls, but kind of just for the audience, how has AI impacted positively your business to date? I think the first thing is uh, both perspective as well as existing customers are using our generative AI capability to create de novo images from text prompts on our platform. Uh, at scale. As at the last quarter, we had over 35 million uh, images that were uh, created on our platform. Um, some of those images are making their way uh, into our library to the extent uh, uh, they are um, they're worthy. Um, and um, it's exciting to see people really experiment creatively with what we believe is an exciting new content type. Um, and so we are seeing that engagement and experimentation, both from prospective customers as well as from existing customers, uh, and that excites us. And we want to encourage that and continue to drive that forward to be the place to go to experiment with generative AI uh, for creatives. What we're not seeing a lot of today are customers consuming and downloading that content and deploying it for their core use cases around digital marketing and advertising. And we're seeing download rates that are far below traditional stock content, which really leads us to believe that while customers are enjoying exploring the capabilities of this new technology, either because the outputs are not photorealistic enough more because of concerns around uh, indemnification and intellectual property rights, we're erecting not to download, consume, and deploy uh, that that generated content. Um, and so 
Yeah, there's a number of things that we're doing on our side to try and change that. Uh, we're improving the quality of the outputs. Um, we offer enterprise customers today uh, providing indemnification as an offering in order to get them comfortable. But today we're seeing a lot of uh, experimentation uh, of this new content type, but not a lot of deployment and usage of the new content type. And obviously, you guys are now bringing in quite a bit of revenue or a significant chunk um, from licensing your metadata and your image library and content library in general uh, to some of these large language models in order for um, them to use for training purposes. Talk a little bit about that business, kind of what your expectations are from a size perspective this year and the coming years. Yeah, so we're really excited to be in the position that we are in. Uh, one of the things that we're seeing is there's a clear shift on the part of large technology platforms. Regardless of where uh, the courts and the legalities come out, where they're electing to use licensable training data for their own generative AI products. There's not a single large technology company out there that is saying, we are going to use screen-scraped open web data to train our models without the permission of the contributor and without paying and remunerating a contributor to build generative AI products. And I think that's an amazing shift that's really taken place over the course of the past six months. And these large technology companies are really thinking about the long-term economics of their business. They're thinking about their own brand equity, and they're basically electing to go with licensable training data as opposed to screen scrape data for training their generative AI models. Shutterstock is a unique beneficiary uh, of that trend. Um, when we started working with OpenAI in 2021, uh, they were first in their determination that training their model with properly licensed data uh, was critical to the long-term sustainability of, of the product that they were building. After that deal was announced, we saw a lot of interest come in from uh, other companies that were also building similar generative AI products. Um, we uh, did a, a deal with LG and entered into a partnership with LG. We entered into uh, a partnership with Meta that we're quite excited about. Um, uh, several other social media companies have become our customers. Um, we more recently announced uh, a generative 3D offering where we're jointly partnering with Lydia with what will be the first of its kind uh, text to 3D model generator uh, available to customers where the outputs will be uh, both structured and textured and available in some of the newer 3D formats such as USDX. And and most recently, uh, we announced uh, a partnership with Google. Uh, we're very, very excited uh, that Google has selected us uh, for using our content uh, for a range of different purposes. And uh, we couldn't be any more pleased with the way that the, uh, the customers that are selecting us are, are, are playing out. Ultimately, there are very few places where licensable metadata at scale can be acquired for generative AI. And we believe that we are very well positioned to be able to capture what could be an exciting large TAM uh, over over the years to come. Um, our expectation for this business this year is that it's going to more than triple as compared to the prior year. Uh, we're seeing the average deal sizes go up uh, significantly. Uh, the average deal sizes more than doubled from last year to this year. We're seeing customers engage with us with multi-year contracts. These contracts have been five years uh, in most instances. Some have been longer. Some have been slightly shorter. Uh, and we're also seeing clients really seek to get uh, the range of content assets from us for generative AI model training. So it started out as interest in image metadata has really morphed into interest in video metadata, 3D model metadata, as well as uh, music metadata. And so we're seeing a real land and expand opportunity uh, within these customer sets. What we have not done thus far, and that we are uh, going to endeavor to do, 
was to make our data more broadly available. Uh, thus far, there is no self-serve uh, or marketplace availability of our data. Uh, you can access uh, our metadata uh, in the various cloud ecosystems uh, that exist out there today. We don't have what you would think of as really a new market or a broadly available product. You'll notice all of the companies I've mentioned are extremely large technology platforms that can be significant premiums. You should expect us to come to market with a product that is more broadly appealing uh, to uh, uh, the range of companies that are seeking to create generative AI products. So this is an area of investment for us. Uh, it's certainly a very exciting area for us. You know, we're thrilled to be building up what is effectively a, a new business and a new industry. And, um, you know, we're, 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 we're very focused on this as a way to provide value for Shutterstock's customers. And, you know, it's obviously an exciting piece of the business. And as you alluded to, it looks like that, you know, this, it looks like this year you'll bring in somewhere north of 70 million in, in what is high margin data license revenue. Um, looking forward for the next couple of years, it, it seems like, um, seems like what, when you think about whether that revenue stream, you know, grows, stays flat or declines from here, and you just think about the growth potential of that business in general, it seems like it's a little dependent on how many companies out there, you know, are going to build these foundational uh, large language models, um, aka, is this something that every enterprise is going to be training their own models on specific sets of data uh, for specific use cases, or is everyone just going to be licensing, um, you know, one of one of 10 large language models, all of which you may have as customers today already. Um, how do you see that play out? And do you think that, you know, is that a key question to determining whether this revenue stream has big growth potential ahead or not? I think you hit on a very important point, Spencer. So I think the ultimate size of this TAM and the ultimate growth potential of this TAM is going to hinge on the diversity of customers that are choosing to only manage their own intellectual property with respect to generative AI. To the extent they're managing uh, their own models and customizing those models with first party, their own and third party data, that will benefit Shutterstock. Um, and so one of the things that is really playing to our favor right now is we strongly believe the cost of running and managing your own generative AI model and customizing that model is going down precipitously. Uh, if you look at um, uh, some of where the VC money is going and where some of the M&A trends are, we're seeing a number of deals where the company's thesis is to lower the cost to allow uh, a company to uh, run its own and customize its own 3D model. This is not going to be uh, 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 the case that only a handful of companies can afford to own and customize this intellectual property. Um, this is going to be the kind of thing where uh, the cost of the compute is going down, the cost of the model. Many of these models are becoming open source uh, in almost a, uh, you know, an extremely fast period of time. Uh, that's uh, that's amazing to watch. And um, you know, really the piece that's less readily available uh, is third-party data. You know, third-party data is really the scarce resource uh, as compared to, uh, you know, the model and ultimately the compute. Um, and so we do believe that, you know, we think of our data as a very valuable uh, and scarce commodity, not uh, uh, too different from uh, the lithium that powers electric cars. And, um, you know, when customers come to us, I mean, diligence uh, are our are, are business, and they understand the way that we're remunerating contributors uh, for their data, and they understand the way that our data ingestion works. Uh, they ultimately get comfortable that this is the most clean, licensable, uh, an ethical way to procure data for generative AI model training. Um, and they seem to really be looking at us as a, a, a long-term partner uh, for their data needs uh, for metal years to come, um, not just to train models today, uh, but to train them long into the future. I think it's going to be fascinating to see if, uh, you know, going forward here, if enterprises end up training their own open source um, LLMs using either their own proprietary data sets uh, or licensing it from third parties for kind of use case specific functions. 
I was actually, it's just an anecdote. I was at dinner with a friend at a software company and they had a big, um, pretty much AI project. They went to um, one of the large cloud vendors and said, we want to run this uh, using your uh, LLM um, and using your uh, cloud data centers. And they were pretty much told the, the cloud vendors said they didn't have the capacity to do it. Um, they said a lot of their capacity uh, is big GPU shortage and a lot of the capacity for these NVIDIA chips is spoken for by large customers. And so they actually used an open source model, um, trained it using, they bought some of NVIDIA's chips directly, trained it on, I think, some H100 chips using their own data set, brought their open source LLM back to the hyperscaler and said, hey, this uses one one hundredth of the compute that your, call it cross-functional LLM uses. And... Um, and they were able to run it in short. And so it's one interesting application of an enterprise who is going to be training their own open source on data, whether it's their own data or, you know, in this case, if it's generative AI related, potentially data from, from Shutterstock. Yeah. You, you have to believe that all of the industry applications for generative AI are not going to be readily available uh, in a turnkey fashion from the cloud providers. You know, whether it's in the healthcare industry, whether it's in the mobility industry, whether it's in uh, industrials, that there are going to be business and industry vertical specific use cases where companies are going to need to bring their own data and pair that with third-party data and do that in a way that the cloud providers are not, it doesn't make sense for them to do it at scale because these are very niche applications. And our hope is that our third-party data um, will be readily available uh, through those industry vertical use cases uh, and applications. And I think today uh, it's only available in direct enterprise relationships with Shutterstock. We hope in the future uh, our data will be available where people are purchasing their data today, which is largely in the data marketplaces of the large cloud services providers. So you can't purchase our data uh, except by coming directly to us. You know, we're going to aim to change that. Um, you know, in the, in the future. Interesting. On, um, when you look at Shutterstock's library of content, and I guess let's just start on just images and videos, maybe, uh, what percent of it is, call it photorealistic content versus artistic or creative content? And the, the line of, um, the, the reason I'm asking that question is, what you alluded to earlier, a lot of these Gen AI models are great at creating images, probably the most challenging images to create are photorealistic images, um, just because you've got to get every tiny detail right. Otherwise, humans think they look really, really bad. You know, if a hand's missing a finger or teeth look um, a little bit off, that's a big issue. Um, so when you guys look at your library today, like roughly what percent of your content is, do you think is photorealistic uh, versus call it creative? Well, it's a, uh, it's, it's a great question. And it's funny, it's not often a question that we are asked. Um, but when you think about uh, illustrations, right? So uh, uh, something that is not taken with a, uh, a, a camera, but is an illustration, illustrations are only about 15% uh, of our total content stack. And so the vast majority of our content is either a vector or a photo, right? Um, and I think that's really what you're getting at, which is generative AI is very good at replicating illustrations and but it's not particularly good at replicating an actual underlying photo. Um, and so um, it's very good at, uh, you know, a, a effectively uh, uh, a creation of a dog playing basketball on Mars, but not very good at depicting uh, a, a couple on the beach in, a, in the same way that are a true uh, photographic images. Yeah. And do you think that th those kind of, that delineation poses different competitive risks from generative AI, as in like, the illustrative library could be at much higher risk to generative AI innovations than the photorealistic side. And I know Gen AI is going to get better at the photorealistic side, but just yeah. at least as this is today, different competitive risks. Well, I think so. I think there are companies uh, that really do a lot in terms of illustrations and, um, you know, those illustrations um, can be more easily, uh, you know, replicated at this point in time. Um, but I still come back to, you know, the actual experience of using generative AI where you have to wait 15 to 20 seconds and there's four to eight low resolution thumbnails that are returned as part of the search results. The efficacy of that 
if you really try and use that to, to for, for 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 digital marketing, as compared to going to a site like Shutterstock, putting in your search criteria, and then having hundreds of thousands of images that are returned in a matter of less than a second, but you don't able, require any editing. That don't require any editing. That you're then able to page down, right? And the simplicity of being able to page down and scroll and look for exactly what you're looking for and find exactly what you're looking for and apply filters to the research results that have been bespoke created for digital marketers over the course of the past 20 years, it's really an easier search experience than the generative creation experience uh, is today. Um, it is possible that in the future, what generative can return hundreds of thousands of results uh, in less than a second uh, with one query. Uh, but I think today there are costs associated with that, and that is clearly uh, not the generative uh, content creation experience as it exists today. Yeah. I must say I was quite impressed when I was playing around with Shutterstock website. I searched just for, I think, a uh, couple walking on the beach. or I think I searched people walking on the beach. And then you guys actually have a whole host of filters there. You know, returned, I think, 100,000 plus images. And then you guys actually had filters where you could filter by, well, how many people do you want on the beach? What demographics of those people do you want on the beach? Um, do you want to, I, I can't remember those in animals, but you were, you were able to ensure it just via filters actually come down to a very specific image you wanted, which in theory is one of the benefits of Gen AI is you can type in exactly what it is you want. Uh, and this, I feel like you guys are actually probably using some AI and just better metadata uh, in short, just to categorize images correctively. So you can do that via filters as opposed to creation from scratch. Well, I mean, look, on our site, you can use a combination of uh, freeform text uh, for your search. Um, as well as filters. Uh, those are filters that have evolved um, as uh, uh, creative uh, marketing and digital marketing has evolved. And so when we think about, you know, I'd like a couple on the beach in their mid-30s, it's not because we think it's a good idea. It's because digital marketers are looking to connect with uh, their end customers who happen to be the couple on the beach in their 40s. Um, and so ultimately, the filters that we have and the search capability and functionality we have is a function of what our customers are looking for in terms of the content, rather than us trying to sort of reverse engineer on a, you know, a filter. It's really a function of that they're, what they're searching for. Interesting. So um, last topic, uh, Giphy. Um, maybe to kick it off, talk a little bit about competitive dynamics in the gift space. So, you know, when um, I'm sure anyone listening to this has sent a gift, whether it's through Instagram or iMessage, et cetera, um, you know, talk a little bit about who are the big gift providers. You know, there's obviously Giphy, there's there's Tenor, which is owned by Google, but talk a little bit about the competitive dynamics and how you view Giphy um, within the GIF GIF ecosystem. Sure. So, you know, Giphy is really the juggernaut uh, in this GIF ecosystem. Um, in terms of the size of the library, uh, in terms of the daily users and the impressions, uh, this company is uh, is a juggernaut. Um, 1.7 billion people a day uh, use a platform and either search for gifts or send gifts, um, generating 15 billion monthly impressions of gifts. And so this is uh, the largest platform. It's deployed in over... 14,000 API uh, uh, partners uh, globally, which would include every major messaging platform uh, that they've developed an integration with. Um, and so it's it, 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 the size and scale is 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 really uh, you know inspiring. I think what got them to this position, which I think is not uh, clearly understood, is Wiki controls the inventory of gifts that is deployed on all of these major platforms. And that content is a controlled content environment where the content is um, uh, 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 effectively scrubbed. And it's scrubbed for quality, but it's also scrubbed for the type of content that it is. And so you're not going to see things like illegal activity. You're not going to see things like pornography. You're not going to see things that are unacceptable through the messaging platforms that are accepting the uh, the GIF inventory. Uh, and so that is one of the things that contributed to, you know, the, the rise and the size and scale of, of, of Giphy as a platform. So 
you know, we couldn't be any more excited about the distribution capabilities that they have today, uh, the ability to uh, control the inventory and bring new gift content uh, to market. And um, we really feel like this is a tremendous team uh, that has a great entrepreneurial spirit and is going to do some uh, amazing things as a part of Shutter's Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's easy to get excited about the big picture opportunity here. I mean, you mentioned 15 billion daily impressions, you know, pick your, uh, pick your advertising CPM, discount it by a hundred and you still get to some very exciting numbers. Um, but obviously big execution risk here. So we touch a little bit about how that advertising based impression or sorry, the impression based advertising business model there works. I know this was something that Giphy was rolling out, uh, kind of pre COVID and pre acquisition by meta shut down. I think you guys are kind of in the early stages of turning this back on, but talk a little bit about how, how exactly that business model works. Yeah, sure. And look, I think the first thing to think about is unlike most forms of, uh, advertising, we, uh, sponsored gift effectively is part of the experience uh, of a user. And so unlike um, uh, an ad where there is a pre-roll and you're waiting for that ad to complete and that ad doesn't have anything to do with your search intent or what you're looking to accomplish, Riffy has the benefit of serving up inventory that is responsive uh, to the search intent uh, of the user. And so if you or I are looking to grab a beer together, and there is a Budweiser Clydesdale galloping on the beach that comes up. That Budweiser Clydesdale is additive to your experience as a user. You may or may not elect to send me that particular GIF, but it's not necessarily intrusive and it is highly responsive to what you're looking to uh, accomplish when you send your uh, gift to an individual. And so it would be wrong to think of these as ads. It's more correctly um, product placements in the realm of sponsored gifts. Sure. And therefore, it really uh, does not do detriment to the experience and in many cases even enhances the experience. I go as far as to say that the significant majority of the gifts that are selected are actually branded gifts. The people love to send brands to each other in the form of gifts as part of messaging. If you go on uh, uh, giphy.com today and you click on studios, you can see some great examples of some of the creative uh, that's been done by various brands that are very, very popular uh, on Giphy. Uh, you can look at videos that have been converted into GIFs uh, that are up there from uh, ESPN and Netflix uh, that are fantastic. You can look at uh, uh, GIF-based product placements that are up there from uh, Dunkin' Donuts, MTNT, Google, W Hotels, I mean, the, the, the range of companies that have created GIF-based content uh, for digital marketing is uh, is really phenomenal. And the thing is, again, it, it, it's not intrusive because it's responsive to the search results. So it's one of the very few companies that can pair advertising and search together to serve up something that's responsive to what you're what you're looking for. So yeah, I'm envisioning myself messaging a friend via a variety of platforms and I send them, you know, let's get dinner. I'm hungry and I want to send them a GIF. I, I go into the API uh, or on whatever messaging platform it is. It's pulling in a bunch of GIF inventory, maybe inventory from other platforms too, but likely a bunch of GIF, GIFI inventory. I search hungry and, you know, uh, a Domino's pizza box comes up, right? Like that's something I would naturally maybe send um, in that instance, uh, that obviously is an impression you would be serving of Domino's. I mean, that's good brand, uh, affiliation for Domino's. And so in, in an instance like that, it's easy to see how that's an impression. It's easy to see how that's valuable. How much platform cooperation do you guys need to actually, you know, collect, you know, to actually, you know, collect revenue here? What data sharing do you need? And in short, like, I mean, you could then send a follow-up email the next month to Domino's being like, Hey, Domino's gifts appeared, you know, 30 million times in gift searches. You, you know, we think you should pay us X, you know, obviously how does that, how's that process going to work? Yeah. And there are 
various ways that we work with the various platform providers, depending on their objectives. Um, there are, are some uh, platform partners that would prefer there not to be branded gifts uh, in the inventory, and their preference would be to pass directly to be able to use the inventory without the branded gifts. I think that would be the minority. I think the majority recognize that these branded gifts are very popular. They ultimately actually drive engagement uh, in that software platform that is being used, which is really the critical the critical factor from from their perspective. Um, some of them are uh, content to let us manage and drive the inventory, and so the economics would accrue to us, um, you know, as part of uh, the advertising, and uh, it would be. Because we control uh, the inventory, it's really up to us in terms of what that experience is is like for the end user. Others are looking at this as a monetization avenue. I mean, it's been notoriously difficult to monetize messaging uh, over the years. If you look at some of the ways that the uh, email providers uh, have done it, you know, I um, you know, I use um, you know, uh, one of the older uh, uh, email addresses for my personal address, and every fifth line in my inbox because I don't pay a premium is effectively uh, an advertisement. It's not an email from from somebody; it's effectively an advertisement. That hasn't really proven to be the most effective uh, advertising mechanism, and it's certainly not the best customer experience. And you can pay a premium to 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 avoid that. This is a way that we can monetize messaging in a way that actually appeals to the customer uh, in terms of the, the, the use experience. Because ultimately, uh, the branded gift is very popular. It's something that you know, people enjoy, people enjoy sending. Um, so I think your, you know, your, 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 your point is spot on. I think these are going to command CPMs in the marketplace. Those economics will accrue to us on, um, you know, we're 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 very excited to be able to bring this inventory uh, to market and start to monetize it. Um, and that's something we're we're sure focused on through the end of the year. Okay. And I know um I know the deal only closed a couple of months ago and it's early days. Um, uh, but do you guys have any? Because uh, I know they were paying advertising clients pre-acquisition by Meta that was kind of shut off. You guys are ramping this back up. Uh, what's the timeline look like? Are there any paying advertising clients today, or is this still um still in the works? It's it's in the works, but I think uh, much more near term than we would have expected the time of closing the deal. Um, and so I think we have a high level of confidence that this is going to drive revenue in 2024. Uh, we're, we're excited about uh, what that momentum uh, could look like next year. Um, the fundamental underlying technology uh, to be able to uh, attract the flighting of various campaigns uh, is intact. And so really now it's a question of uh, uh, signing up on our, our first advertisers and beginning to work with them. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're exciting about this. I mean, if you think about some of the, um, you know, the, the search terms that are used, well, you know, I woke up this morning and I was super tired and I sent my friend a gift that said I wanted to have a coffee. Um, you know, who would, who would bid on branded gifts but coffee? Um, I didn't eat lunch today, and I was in the mood for a slice of pizza. And there was a couple pizza companies that would really love to own some of the inventory when people are searching for, for pizza gifts. And similarly, when we're getting, you know, we want to grab a beer with our friends. And uh, there's a reward going on right now for brand awareness, and we'd love to be uh, love to be a part of that as some of the top brands uh, duke it out for, uh, you know, football season. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're really excited about the potential here. And beyond um, distribution and advertising revenues, um, you did think there's a great opportunity for us to bring this as an additional content type to our customers. We're always adding new content types for Shutterstock customers. We're innovating in that regard. Um, if you think about this company 10, 15 years ago, it was predominantly image that's changing very significantly. We expect the pace of that change to accelerate, uh, not decelerate. And so us getting into gifts, and by the way, uh, you haven't asked about generative gifts, uh, which will be uh, a thing 
uh, can you generate your own GIF through generative AI technology? Um, you know, all of these things uh, are in the near future and uh, could be could be very exciting developments for Shutterstock. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I share your enthusiasm there. Um, well, look, those were my uh, those are kind of wrapped up my main questions here. Any uh, any closing comments from your side? No, Spencer. Thanks so much for having us. We really uh, we really appreciate it. Um, you know, clearly. Uh, there's a lot of exciting opportunities uh, at Shutterstock. We're, we're, we're really thrilled to be at the nexus of some of the major things that are going on with respect to content and media and of AI. Um, and we're, uh, we're really excited to uh, execute on some of our plans in the next uh, six months to a year. Yeah, well, sounds good. Well, Jen, I want to thank you very much for taking time to come on the show. I thought this was a great conversation. All right. Thanks, Spencer.